Welcome back to another episode of Dave's Delivery and Junk Removal. I'm Dave and I'm here with Sugar Sean. Say hi, Sean. Hi. Again, as always, our goal is to uh, both deliver to you good, edifying truth and to take to the trash whatever terrible thoughts you have because we know you've got them and we're coming for them. To begin, sitting beside Sugar Sean's nice bookshelf and off the shelf, I grabbed John Owen Volume 1 because Sean believes in living excessively, exorbitantly. You know, early on he read John Piper, Wartime Mentality. Now he's overcorrecting. So he's getting entire book sets to put on his shelf. This guy's got all 16 volumes of the works of John Owen. Thought he was getting everything by John Owen, but missed out on the entirety of his Hebrews commentary. So, good try, Sean. But I grabbed volume volume one, The Glory of Christ by John Owen. Sean, have you read this volume, or is it just there for decoration? Yes. It's there for decoration. And I've read it. Nice. <laughs> well answered. Uh, quickly, tell us about it. Should people read this volume? If so, what should they expect? Why is it helpful? Uh, yeah. A, yes, they should read it. Check. B. Does listening count? Uh, it does not. It would also probably put you to sleep if you, you listen need to, to it. Yeah, you need to, yeah, you need a pot of coffee and uh, you need to start reading the King James because it's just really going to help you in terms of understanding. Why? Unpack that, yeah. It's a better language. So guys who wrote better than guys who write today, we're just not used to it as much. So it is really helpful and it's just a better Bible. Yeah, reading the King James regularly builds you up in your Christian discipleship and with your Christian discipleship builds you up as a reader and in so doing opens up doors in the back backs of wardrobes to whole new worlds not called Narnia but called the Puritans yeah and so, and called John Owen yeah so specifically in the glory of Christ with Owen uh, I mean the book can pretty much be fairly summed up by saying you know if you have a problem look to Jesus if you want to be sanctified, look to Jesus. Uh, if you want joy, look to Jesus. And a guy like Owen uh, is so helpful because, uh, you know, that's a Christianese statement that right. uh, everyone knows to be true. Uh, but a guy like Owen pushes you to apply that uh, deeper and more profoundly than a lot of times we're willing to do ourselves or we've been trained to do ourselves. And so reading a guy like that, uh, reading a guy like Owen, talking about the glories of Christ, uh, gives you insight more than you had uh, into the scriptures, into who Christ is, what he's done, and what it looks like to apply that to our lives in a multiplicity of areas. Um, so, Give me a quick, quick explanation, uh, again, just by way of intro to the book, to wet appetites out there. Uh, what does it mean to look to Christ? Because I can't see him. Yeah, so uh, it does not mean looking at a picture. That's actually a violation of God's law, even for those under grace. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the Jesus Storybook Bible? I mean, her last and... name is Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, beholding Christ has nothing to do with seeing. We, we behold now uh, by faith. We behold in, in heaven, we'll behold Jesus for who he is in his glorified state. When we are glorified, uh, we'll behold him by sight. But now we behold him by faith. 
So what it means to behold Jesus, to look upon his glory, to look upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is to, uh, from the scriptures, understand who he is and what he's done. So look at who he is, the begotten son of God, uh, born of a virgin. We look at what what he did in his life, what he did in his death and resurrection and in his ascension. And the Bible alone uh, tells us what that means, right? You know, we have people always telling us, who Jesus is, good example, a prophet, da-da-da. If it's apart from the word, uh, it's folly. He's only defined by his word, and we behold him by faith, which means we behold him by uh, who he uh, declares himself to be, uh, reveals himself to be, uh, and we behold that in the word. The Spirit illuminates the word to us, and we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in who he is and in what he's done. It reminds me of... uh a song we would sing with kids in the neighborhood in Scotland where I worked. And uh, the repeated line was, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Grow how? We'll grow up into the image of Christ. Yep. Because in reading your Bible and praying every day, you daily, regularly behold Christ. Yeah. Which is a, it's a broad principle, and that's another thing you can get into with Owen in reading such a decorative set as this, talking about overcoming sin and temptation, just the idea that we inevitably become whatever we're beholding. So, right. you know, if we're if we're beholding sin, we will become uh, we will become like what that sin is demanding of us. We'll become uglier. Uh, we'll become more uh, more disgusting in the eyes of God. Um, we will drift further and further from. Uh, looking like Christ. When we're beholding Christ, that's the only way to be made into his image. It's not magic. Uh, It happens uh, by the grace of God as we behold Jesus Christ. You know, you... So Christians, they're 10 form basic Christianity, no repentance from sin Mm -hmm. is a big deal. Yep. We're we're to regularly repent. And uh, that said... You can get in this. You can easily get in this rut of simply viewing repentance as needing to happen and being behavior modification, and then you'll find repentance to feel like a false hope. Yep. You know, it's this thing that's required of me, and yet I I keep failing, and I, I just can't get it right. Uh, and when you see repentance fundamentally as behavior modification. What really gets highlighted is your own frailty and weakness. The key to repentance, which is what Owen hits, is looking at Jesus. And then you find that uh, the burdens that God places on his people are actually really light. I must repent. And in, in one sense, all I have to do is look on Christ. Look on Christ Look on Christ, look on Christ, and not one sin will have dominion over me. That's right. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, forgot what I was going to say else on that, but that'll suffice for Owen. Again, Volume 1, published by the Banner of Truth, 16 volumes, The Work of John Owen. Volume 1 is The Glory of Christ. Sugar Sean endorses it, and he says you should read it. And uh, again, when you pick it up and you find it crossing your eyes, uh, the lines blurring one with another, 
Just know all you have to do is get yourself a King James and all your problems will be solved. (laughs) (laughs) You might have noticed, this is a a total aside, not related to what we're going to hit as our topic today. But you may have noticed while Sugar Sean was talking, the sound of an airplane. We we are recording presently under a flight path. And so we get regular airplanes flying overhead here. And uh, when, when the whole coronavirus shenanigans started to unfold, I got out of Dodge, went over to the East Coast uh-huh. to spend time with my brother and his family. Yep. And so I got on multiple planes, both there and back, and was in an And survived. And survived, still alive. And I've gotten a cough since, but I think it was because of breathing in all of the, uh, the sheetrock, the drywall. That'll so, do it. Yeah. I think it's less... Corona time or more, just breathing in fiberglass and, and uh, sheetrock, yeah. which is probably healthier for me. But uh, you know, I'm in an enclosed space with these people. It's it's totally deemed legal to assemble in such a manner by the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And uh, how funny is it that uh, I'm supposedly not allowed to gather in an enclosed space for church? Right. So I, I I can gather in an enclosed space for travel. But not for all church. All kinds of things. Because, let's be honest, church is not all that important, right? We can take it or leave it. It's not really essential. Now, we've obviously been hitting that topic a lot. Yeah, and one thing on that while we're yeah, on it. hit it. You know, because it's still relevant. It's kind of funny, uh, this idea that uh, there's a lot of Reformed brothers kind of holding out on that idea because, chiefly because the church isn't being singled out, right? You know, this yeah. conversation that from their side, this conversation would be totally different if the church was being singled out. Are you, t- are you referring to Jonathan Lehman's wonderful article? <laughs> Those kind of guys, yeah. Yeah. Like, the, uh, it would be totally different if the church was being singled out. That would be, without question, it's time for, as everyone likes to call it, righteous rebellion. Uh-huh. Right. Which, and, and let's, let's be real, just as an aside, we would not refer to resisting tyrants as rebellion no actually obeying tyrants is rebellion against god and his created order yeah, if we don't have an ultimate standard by which uh, rebellion is measured then what are we even talking about we always submit to governing authorities mm. oh. or we're sinning <laughs> oh. so you can have your rebellion and those who want to conform to orders forbidding the church to gather you the rebels well and the funny thing with that is like how is the church not being singled out? I mean, there's tons of tons of ordinances coming down specifically for churches and how they're not allowed to gather. There's no plenty communion, of, no singing. There's plenty of organizations that are allowed to gather, and churches have been excluded from those exemptions. Planned Parenthood, totally fine to keep operating. Close but quarters. They provide an essential service for women's health. Yeah, for for a country that demands that babies be slaughtered. And the essential, their essential service is is provided for them. Hey, uh, are we good on this point? Because I wanted to say something about Planned Parenthood, which it kind of derails what you're saying. Yeah, you all I was gonna I'll, dunk uh, on me real quick. The, it's not much of a dunk. Okay, I can't dunk. Anyway. I used to try to dunk in practice growing up, and I would always just get stuffed by the. Rim. You're like Gordon Hayward post surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my point is just it's they Poor don't. Guy. There's not actually that's not actually a leg to stand on from what I've seen. The church is being singled out. Uh, if you don't think that's happening, uh, I don't think you're looking at the situation soberly. Well, you're, cho- you're choosing 
to not look at it because it's convenient because conflict is inconvenient. So much better to pretend like you've got a reason for avoiding the conflict when really you got to just deal with – I did a job yesterday. This is a junk removal podcast. I did a junk removal job yesterday. I came on it and guess what? I didn't schedule it. I didn't choose it. It happened to me and I didn't want to do it. But sometimes you have to deal with what's before you as a man. And when conflict's before you, you can't use bad philosophizing and theologizing to avoid what must be done. Especially when you have to shepherd sheep. That's right. Stakes are too high. Hey, I'm encouraged by our evangelism work at Planned Parenthood. I heard a story. I was working uh, yesterday, um, obviously in full conformity to all regulations about uh, employees and work by the state of California. But I was working yesterday, so I missed uh, preaching at, at Planned Parenthood. But you were there and others were there. And I heard from that an encouraging story. Uh, Simon, security guard Simon, simple Simon. Simon who always has to call Big Daddy Mark whenever things get hot. Like, I don't know, evangelists are mean by telling him the gospel. I heard simple Simon uh, pulled a, a, a gun on a preacher at a San Diego Planned Parenthood. And I hear he got promoted for that. Not promoted. No? Kick to the curb. Kind of promoted. He doesn't think it's a promoted, <laughs> but he's no longer making blood. And learned he's actually going to nursing school now, too. That is, that is awesome. Yeah. Just, uh, just going to be that uh, protector of life that he is. That's fantastic. You know, he's, he's done that, that frontline work of just defending Planned Parenthood with a gun at his hip. You know what? It kind of makes me nervous because I'm not so worried about his gun, but if I'm ever in the hospital where he's working and he has to give me a catheter... I'm sure he's going to get his payback on me. <laughs> but uh, I'll make sure to soil the bed yeah. and make him clean it. Yeah, it's, a, it's secondhand information, but talking to a brother who is a trustworthy guy, no reason to fabricate anything or um, you know, make something up. Uh, one of the security guards that we've preached at, um, preached in front of, and by in front of, I mean like you know, seven, eight feet away. Like he's right there. Sometimes less than six feet. Sometimes. Depends how much we're allowed to creep up. Um, because they have some very arbitrary laws on where we're allowed to stand on the sidewalk there, which we do our best to honor because... Arbitrary laws. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Honest. I'd love to come back to that. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to that as in probably a future episode. Yeah. Arbitrary laws are, you know, they, they display their own foolishness so quickly. Um, but uh, this security guard, you know, we've preached at him for months now. Uh, we go every other week and we have, we know some faithful brothers who are there the week that we're not there, which is why we've scheduled it the way we have. So we have, uh, somebody there preaching the gospel pretty much every Saturday. Uh, and this guy's heard the gospel preached. Uh, I don't know how many times we usually show up with, you know, three to five guys, each of us getting up there and preaching about the heinousness of what's going on there and preaching about the glorious gospel of Christ week in and week out. And he's heard it over and over and over again. And whatever it was that week, uh, whether it was uh, a single instance that day, um, which it could have been, that, that, that's totally a possibility, something that that preacher said that really triggered him. But I doubt it because we've said everything there is to say. You know, talking about even just the idea, he's a, he's a black guy. Hey, that's how good at preaching we are. We have said everything there is to say, baby. We're killing it. If there's we one are thing, so good. If there's one thing I don't expect Dave to do, it's to leave 
uh, a punchy insult to a security guard off the table. <laughs> so whether or not we said everything we're supposed to say, Let's probably not. Let's just say not. we've made a lot of comments about how small his gun is. His gun. But, you know, we've, we've talked from about... from a guy with tiny hands. We've talked about the reality of, you know, what Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, set out to do. You know, wipe out minorities, which includes blacks. And there is Simon, a black man, defending a place that's killing off blacks at a higher rate than than white guys out on the street. I would assume that this is still a, a thing, but at, at least there was a year where I saw statistics for New York City, and you were as if you were a black baby, you were more likely to be aborted than to be born. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And so you know, he, Simon's heard that week in and week out, um, preached to his face. Oftentimes, uh, you know, if neighbors are being uh, especially pricked by the word that morning and uh, drowning out our, our preaching to a special degree, then he's just getting an extra dose because I know he can hear me. He's right in front of me. And so I just, you know, we just transitioned to, to Mark and Simon. The, the fun thing is, um, yeah, it's, it's sometimes a little ambiguous on how well the ladies inside hear us. Because mm-hmm. a lot of weeks, we don't have amplification tools. Some weeks we do. The nice thing with amplification is that it makes you louder. The drawback is when you have amplification, men tend to hold back a little bit on the preaching. And then there, there's often more complications with the police as, as there's ambiguity about how exactly San Diego wants to enforce the ability of free men to use amplification. Right, which we could get a better handle on and yeah. and do more with. But without it, the, you very naturally just let her rip. Absolutely. And but that said, sometimes you're like, you know, maybe maybe I'm a little hoarse today. I don't know how well they're hearing us. And you, every once in a while you get encouragements. Guys come out and say, you're making the ladies inside cry. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. You just let us know they're all hearing us. But even, even if they weren't able to hear us at, at different times, Mark... Simon, the new guy, yep. like you said, they always hear us. They're hearing so much Bible week in and week out. Yeah, That's and, doing something to them. It's yeah. either hardening them or softening them. Yeah, and you might go weeks. But by God's grace, we really haven't gone multiple weeks without really good conversations with people out on the street. Um, and then, you, yeah, like you said, just encouragements that they are being, we are being heard inside um, as women are crying, as we're crying out to them about what they're doing, begging them to come out and talk to us, begging them not to kill their children. Uh, but don't for a, you can't for a second, and I think Simon's a perfect example of it, you can't for a second uh, forget or doubt that uh, God's word is always effectual. That's right. When God's word goes forth, it accomplishes that which it, set, it sets out to do. And so it's either softening or hardening according to God's good pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you can honestly make an argument either way with Simon. I mean, what he did is... Uh, a bad thing, right? He literally pulled a gun on a guy, waved it in his face from what I was told. So that's not good. <laughs> it's not a very appropriate thing to do. Um, and it very well could be a hardening of his heart. But it's also just kind of, you know, you, don't, you just don't know. There's, we don't need to make assumptions about that. It could Back vary. where I'm from, that's just how we say hey. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's obviously showing that emotionally it's getting to him. Right. So which way that prick is going to go, that's for God to decide and our prayer well, for Simon. Well, apparently to nursing school. <laughs> yeah. But it yeah. <laughs> Our prayer for Simon is that he would, you know, he would repent and be saved. Amen. And and so we want that for him. Um, but that is a perfect example that God's word, uh, when it's set forth, it accomplishes 
that which it that's that which God desires for it to accomplish. That's right. It's never uh, it's never neutral. It's never powerless. Amen. Now we are here today. Slight transition. We're here today on that greatest of holidays, Mother's Day. Greatest of holidays. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. <laughs> And you know what, Sean? You've got a great mom. Yep. She's a sweet lady. Yes, she is. Yeah. Um, so, on Mother's Day, I'm, I'm, I'm being 100% serious. I know, there's, a great just, lady. there's just more just from the day. Gotcha. Now, we live uh, at a time in America where I think it's very fair to say motherhood has never been... Uh, more despised, disregarded, looked down upon. Mm-hmm. But um, before we get into any kind of comments on the attack on motherhood, okay. I thought it'd be useful because we're in a context where, where motherhood is so infrequently taught, so frequently attacked. Uh-huh. I thought it'd be useful to talk about motherhood from scripture. Okay. So how much time do you have? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. So in our, our remaining time, because again, Sugar Sean loves nothing more than working on the Sabbath. Oh, you know it. Let's go, baby. Sean, why don't you... Uh, I'm sending text messages, chastising people for <laughs> Sabbath activities. <laughs> We're talking Kiss about my wife goodbye. <laughs> Off to work. <laughs> We're going to talk about motherhood. And if we don't finish, uh, we'll pick it up in another episode. That sounds super reasonable. Nice. So you start us off. Take us somewhere in the Bible. Talk to us about motherhood. All right. Second Chronicles. I'm going to be in Titus chapter 2. <laughs> Second Chronicles. There's nothing useful there. What are you talking about? I heard a really good sermon from Second Chronicles, actually, on worship as warfare. Doug Wilson. Check him out. Uh, Heresy. Check it out. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 3, working up to verse 5. The aged women likewise... That they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women, so this is older women teaching younger women, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. (laughs) Sometimes you're reading the Bible and mm-hmm. you know like if, if let's say you were preaching this right yeah and there's some parts of the Bible where just reading the passage raises the tension level you know imagine just reading Ezekiel 23 right right you just feel the tension rising yeah this I purposely I mean yeah it's like I didn't I didn't get to preach this morning but I did lead our church in corporate prayer and in the supplication portion I you know prayed that the women in our church would be marked by this text and I just read what I just read. Uh, it didn't, you know, it's one of those things, you know, I think it's a Paul Walsh quote though. I'm sure, sure many people have said it, you know, I didn't like your interpretation of that passage. And he just <laughs> responds by saying, you know, I just read it. I'll just read the Bible to you. <laughs> oh, that's happened a number of times. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. it's just, it's one of those passages that's like, keepers at home. Well, why don't you keep that to yourself? <laughs> it's like, uh, no, it's just, it literally says that like, we're all Christians. And the Bible says you have to be obedient to your husband. Now, I'm sure the ESV says something different there, but no. <laughs> leaving that, leaving that <laughs> aside. 
Um, okay, just unpack this passage, particularly in relation to the topic of mother. What do we learn about motherhood from yeah, Titus 2? Mo- mothers are to be marked by uh, a love for their children, a love for their husbands, uh, modesty, and, uh, you know, obedient to their own husbands, so marked by a submissive spirit, uh, one that loves uh, and yields to their husband's authority in the home. Um, Sarah called Abraham Lord, and it wasn't a mistake. That's right. Uh, and so men, it's not, you know, and that's not an Old Testament reality. You know, that's just a marriage reality. An Old Testament baby. <laughs> The, uh, that's a marriage reality where uh, husbands are lords in their home. And, you know, we could talk for a long time about uh, the reasons why women hate that, right? And women starts with a hatred of authority in general. And then there's also just we're in a sinful world and authority has been abused so much. Uh, now, certainly that's used as a scapegoat to shirk all authority from over a woman. Women do that. Uh, but if we look to Christ and the church, which is supposed to be a model for us in marriage, um, and obviously extremely applicable to motherhood because there's women bearing children in marriages, and uh, they're to be marked by what the church is marked by. So submission. and they're, Adultery. And they're... <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> ideals. We're talking about ideals. Isn't it interesting, as an aside, uh, you know, it's we were talking about this. It's so easy to preach against the sin of men. Yep. And... Uh, I don't actually know exactly what this term means, but white knightism. Mm-hmm. Uh, a white knight sounds like a great knight, but apparently it's a bad thing. But <laughs> uh, you have uh, – th- there's an ease of when you see something amiss in women to to firstly blame men uh, in their lives. And so obviously women sin and and men being covenant heads – so, First Corinthians 11, it hierarchically being over women. First Corinthians re- 11, I thought that was a cultural thing. Nice. And also, they relate to women uh, in, in their various ways, federally and with authority. And so, there is a responsibility on men, and certainly that should be reflected in how we preach against sin and how we connect sin from, mm-hmm. from someone you're responsible for to you. And yet... Um, you think about women and and their despising of authority, particularly the authority that men have over them. Mm-hmm. Notice that in the garden, it wasn't the sin of Adam that precipitated Eve's sin. She sinned right. and rebelled against God's authority and Adam's authority prior to him sinning right. in in basically being a limp noodle. Yep. Right? And you look at the church, and I made a joke about adultery, but Christ as the husband of the church has never once been a bad husband, and yet how often does the church sin against him, sin against him, sin against him? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, women are, are fully capable of being feminists and haters of male authority apart from the abuses of the patriarchy. That is an aside. Going back to what you're saying about motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish you talked in that voice all the time. I can! <laughs> And I shouldn't have asked. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, I, and it makes sense, uh, just a point on what you're saying, it makes sense in terms of uh, a swing if we're, you know, trying to trying to re- understand and recognize the reality that men have authority. And so then, therefore, you know, jumping out and addressing that as preachers because it's there and it is a, 
It's a higher authority. That's right. And so we're going after it. Yeah. But it's not the only authority. Yeah. Uh, or it's not the only responsibility, I should right, say. Right, right, right. And so there's there's his authority and therefore a greater level of, resp- uh, a level of responsibility there and a different type of responsibility just to the individual. Self-government. To the individual. Because people are actually responsible for their own sins, even if they're women. <laughs> Don't believe it. Well, it's true. All right. <laughs> and, uh, and so... It's, yeah, it's just, are it's you a, saying that women who get abortions are not victims, but also murderers? I am saying that. Wow. And are you saying While that women simul- who disrespect their husbands are not just victims of lame husbands with potentially great or not great mustaches, but also sinners? Yeah, it depends <laughs> who you ask. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Did I derail your thought pattern? <laughs> no, it was just one of those moments where I was going to go somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, all right, I'm just going to go back to the text. Yeah, that's a good uh, idea. So, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. That tends to strike a nerve. Keepers at home. Uh, what, we, what, what the Bible's talking about with that is that it is a woman's primary responsibility. Uh, not that she can't work outside the home at all, but her main responsibility, and really the main way she fulfills to love her children to love her husband and to love her children, which has already been, you know, commanded in verse four for older women to teach younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. The way they fulfill that is by being keepers at home, taking care of their home, uh, ensuring that their children are uh, raised up in the fear and admonition of the Lord uh, while a husband is working to protect and provide. Uh, So obviously a husband primarily is responsible to make sure those things are taking place in the home, but the way they're carried out is by a godly wife. A godly wife is going to be uh, heading up a lot, of the, a lot of the day-to-day discipleship of children. I don't know where it went, but you, you got this uh, family worship outline. It starts with catechism, and for a while on this mirror behind us, I should look at the camera when I'm talking, but on the mirror behind me, you used to have catechism questions mm-hmm. written out, and you know the reality is when you go to work, whether it's a weekday or the Sabbath day, mm-hmm. you know, being absent on the Sabbath, really then catechizing children falls on, and this is for any working man, you go to work, you're trusting your wife to train up your children, to catechize them, instruct them in the word, to basically carry out your will for their lives while you're gone. Yeah, Keep yeah it's home. a pattern that husbands need to set, and uh, you know, I like Doug Wilson talks about this in some of his marriage books, uh, but just talking about how how pigeonholed we can get sometimes on uh, provision as a husband, right? Well, you, you go out and provide, but you throw in bread on the table when you get home and then go and sit on the couch is not providing. You're supposed to, you need to provide in every avenue that a family needs. So physically, certainly, but also spiritually. And so, you know, part of the way you set up a wife to be a good keeper at home uh, and to love her children well is by uh, the time that you are home, uh, spending that well. Uh, and actually uh, investing that time. So seeing that time as an investment time, not your break time. It's not your break time after work. Sorry you had a long day. Oh, are you <laughs> tired? Oh, here's a popsicle. Yeah, you know, pray to God. He gives grace. He gives strength. And then love your children and love your wife well so that she's not left to do those things herself. But I'm tired. <laughs> you know, your wife is not going to do as good of a job catechizing and uh, you know, 
washing your children in the word, filling your home with song, unless you're the one uh, leading the charge on the songs that are sung in your home, uh, the catechism you're using. She doesn't uh, want to set that agenda. Women aren't made to want that. She wants to carry out your agenda. Right, and, and watch. Watch what happens when you set up a godly woman in that direction. You know, uh, pointing her in the direction and then allowing her to fill the space. Because a godly wife will fill the space with great beauty. That's right, like building a Bible stand. Yeah, I'm reading from a Bible stand. My wife made it. Yeah, she went out, she cut down a tree. She used an axe and a saw and a sander. And then she knows how to use a screwdriver too. Pretty impressive. Um, I find something interesting from this passage to go back to the passage again. Okay. So again, firstly, aged women. So it's biblical to identify some women as old. Aged women. They are to be teachers. Yep. Publicly before the congregation. (laughs) (laughs) So Jen Wilkin, Beth Moore, Amy Bird, they figure something out. Well, what are they to teach? Well, big shocker, the, the curriculum that they teach is what we find. The good things they're to teach is defined by verses four and five. So what theology, are they to teach? theology proper? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're to teach the practicalities yep. of womanhood. They're that's to disciple right. younger women in womanhood. And when Paul fleshes out what is womanhood, the, the presumptive structure of godly womanhood that older women are to, to, to train up younger women to excel in, marriage... Motherhood. Motherhood. Marriage and motherhood. It, it's the biblical assumption that women get married, obey their husbands, bear them children, and raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yep. So stay-at-home motherhood is the expectation of Scripture. Yeah. Which is far from... Even the expectation for women in the church today, if I were to speak in a broad generality, Mm -hmm. motherhood is to be the pursuit of, it is is the biblical expression of womanhood. Mm -hmm. You want to be a godly woman, get married, bear children. Fair? Very fair. As an aside, I was... uh, listening to I brought this up uh, last week as well but I was listening to an, an Anthony Esselin book and he was talking about are we staying on the same topic yeah cool because I, I got something to say on that too cool, go cool, ahead cool. it's somewhat of an aside but that's just how I communicate you can always just bring it back uh, yeah that's fine drop it back I probably won't have it but cool but don't forget just oh gosh yeah. good, good call do you want to say your thing I'll just remember Anthony Esselin yeah sure I think one thing would be helpful to say just say in say your thing because we're talking about you know we're talking about a biblical norm yeah and a, a good, just an objective good, and there's there's a category of women who aren't married but want to be. Yeah. And so I think one thing that's uh, important, two, two things. One is uh, ideally this older woman, this aged w- woman, the aged women in the church uh, are speaking from experience. The way you get good at a lot of these things, the way you're, the way God works through sanctification is through doing, right? When we're, we're presented with something new, new challenge, 
uh, and it leads to uh, just showing us our weaknesses, leads to repentance, leads to growth. Uh, but also, you know, just saying these things and knowing these truths, uh, a single woman can even apply this to a married woman, right? She can still teach in that way. They can still, there can still be mothers broadly in the church. Truth is truth. Yeah, it's truth is truth. And, you know, there's so many opportunities to come alongside moms and help in motherhood. Every nurturer, a mother. Right. And so not only uh, do women need to know that, but also uh, when, you, when you dilute the ideal, when you take away from the reality that um, what godly womanhood looks like is, is bearing children and being a wife, uh, you actually can't properly sympathize with those women. Yeah. When you make when you make womanhood into something else to make them feel better, because that's the goal, right? You're trying to make 100%. them feel better. So much theology is built around making women feel better. So we're going to avoid the simple statement of scripture that women are to get married and bear children. That womanhood brings that. Right. And so. We don't need to. We don't need to apologize for scripture. Well, except for the stuff it says about the gays. <laughs> because of honestly, course. honestly, they were born that way. It's really God's fault. Oh. Yeah. They just want to snuggle. What's wrong with? I wanted to lie for a really long brother, time. Brother, brother, snuggle. <laughs> well, you know if it's wrong, depending on what it results in. So if you go too far in your snuggling, just reassess. Whatever you did right before that, just do like one step less. Poke around a bit. <laughs> See what happens. All right, we're moving on. Goodness gracious. Are you still on your point? I'm still on my point. Okay. Last make it, make, making girls feel good. And then I'm going back to Anthony Eslin. Yes. So all, all I'm saying is... Uh, you we don't wanna, want your wife to feel good. We want to properly sympathize with women who aren't uh, given the opportunity for one reason or another to experience the grace of biblical ideals, what they were made for. Right. And so... Uh, it's know, a suffering though. Denying right. yeah, is yeah, a suffering yeah. denies our ability to properly care right. for yeah, sufferers. Yeah. yeah, so you're going to you're going to rip from them the glory of suffering because there's a glory there. That's right. There's a glory in suffering. Mm. That'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. As long as I don't say it. There's a glory in suffering and so if we're if we're going to strip from them the glory of suffering and then like try to, you know, present this as like this glorious gift that they have. Making life miserable. The gift is the suffering. Right. That's the gift. So yeah, everything from God is a gift. The gift in that situation is suffering. Suffering sucks. Yeah. But that's, that's what the, but that's where the glory is. That's right. And so we don't want to strip that from women. It's we want to suck. sympathize with them and remind them and take them to pass. We actually have, we have texts for Not that. Not even just sympathize, empathize. Nah. <laughs> we, have, we have Bible for that. We have Bible to deal with suffering. What we don't yeah. have Bible for is lies. is lies. Neglecting passages, which I don't know how you even re- can read those to a woman, how you can read those without apology. Yeah. So we can read those without apology and then go to passages about suffering, talk about the glory it is to suffer and to have the slightest picture of suffering like our suffering Savior who died for our sins. And so we don't want to strip that from women. We want to present to them the whole counsel of God uh, because there's actually a way to deal, uh, deal with suffering. There's not a way to deal with, with silly lies to make people have warm, fuzzy feelings. That's right. And uh, this is not the Anthony Eslin point, but... Uh, you know, marriage rates, I'm pretty sure, are at an all-time low. I like to throw out the never before, all-time, but I, I think most of those statements are actually true nowadays because we're in a pretty, pretty bad time in American history. I think marriage rates are at an all-time low in America, and, and marriage ages are getting later and later and later. Y'all I would, really know. I wouldn't speak to that from personal experience, but I think just statistically that's true. 
And um, it's no accident that marriage rates are low uh, in, in a coinciding way, a correlative way with how much we despise biblical womanhood. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if women aren't uh, enjoying womanhood and if our culture doesn't celebrate womanhood, uh, of course, that, that great motivator and prize of marriage itself is going to be eroded because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, a good wife is the prize to find, right? Well, you can't have a good wife without a woman. That makes sense. That was the, we've just installed this high-tech thing uh, where a high-pitched annoying beep goes off uh, when we want to signal culture in crisis. So the coffee makers actually designed not just to brew us coffee, but also to say, culture in crisis, culture in crisis. Here's my Anthony Eslin point. He was saying, okay, so men, obviously, uh, you know, you hit puberty later than women, some way later, but you hit puberty and so you physically change. You, You physically mature as a man, but it doesn't make you a man, right? So, yep. now, overlapping the physical change, different cultures will have rites of passage, mm-hmm. right? It coincides. And so, I, I go into this rite of passage, this initiation to manhood, when I physically change, but it doesn't mean, my physical change doesn't mean successful uh, passage through the rite of passage. Right. I actually have the, a test, an initiation Mm-hmm. That I have to get through because of what manhood is and requires. Mm-hmm. Physical capabilities doesn't mean jack squat, which is why you can have pathetic bodybuilders, mm-hmm. right? Now, physical capabilities are really important to carrying out the, res- the responsibility of manhood, but manhood requires much more, which is why every culture, and it'll have different kinds of rites of passage based on how pagan or Christian it is, but it's going to have a rite of passage. Right now, go around the world, and Anthony Eslin was just remarking how you, women come into physical maturity earlier than boys, but they don't have the same rite of passage attached to the physical change. They come into physical maturity and then are. They come into womanhood, Anthony Eslin was observing, simply with physical change. Because what is signaled? A man, you could, you could see him broaden out his shoulders and fill into his hands and feet, which didn't take me long. Small hands and small feet. <laughs> but you see this, this boy fill out physically, and it, it does not mean that he is fit to be a man, that he's able to be a man. And it doesn't mean that he'll maintain his man card. But a, a woman comes into this physical change, and her body itself testifies to the world that she has entered womanhood, namely, she is able, she's fit to get married and bear children for a man. Her body changes and pronounces, I'm able to bear children, which we see from from Titus is part of the structural foundation of womanhood, being married, bearing children. Fundamental to what a woman is. Now, with that, uh, that's the first time I've heard that. So I'm just pushing back a little bit. Push back, baby. Um, which is allowed. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I don't it, like disagreeing. There's a reality to obviously I agree. There's a reality to she literally physically becomes mm-hmm. that, but there's also a reality to a man physically becoming. I know where you're going. Okay, you know where I'm going. Uh, you know, the, like our passage today talks about loving husbands, loving children, mm-hmm. uh, being discreet, chaste, keepers at home, and because because your point with with men is that there's a character component that has to be. Uh, grown up into character competence, right? Actual competent, yeah, 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 matters, yeah. And so, a woman likewise has a lot of work to do in mm-hmm. womanhood just because she's been physically made able to mm-hmm. to bear children, sure, to nurse children, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at least from this text, ready I, for this? Yeah, go for it. Boom. So, a woman can obviously be a good woman or a bad woman. Yep. Right. Same as a man. Well. Hold up. Hold up, wait a minute. Um, unless a woman totally throws herself into dykeness, right? So let's say... I open this store. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, wants to be a lieutenant for the police force. Or she wants to join the Marine Corps. Super fire! Right? But she just totally throws herself into dykeness. Other than that kind of woman, we're going to say... We, we naturally talk about her as either a, a good woman or a bad woman, but really identifying her as a woman is, is rarely at stake. Just if you think about how we talk. Right. Okay. How we view. So Jezebel, a wicked woman. Uh-huh. We don't question whether or not she was a woman. Okay. Okay. So you're. No, I, I see where you're going. I see where you're going. I'll let you go. Like, yeah, I tried to say I see yeah, where okay, you're going because okay, okay. you saw where I was going. Yeah, I said it too. So <laughs> I just do want you to, you have a pattern of stealing it once you see where I'm going. <laughs> a pattern as in one time. <laughs> That's don't, a pattern. Don't think that's how patterns work. <laughs> I was really good at identifying patterns in second grade. I saw one thing, got it. So. I know where this is going. <laughs> really? <laughs> it could literally go anywhere. <laughs> no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> in contrast, uh, think about how we talk about um, boys, right? Because even, even women who haven't done enough for us to identify whether she's a good or a bad woman, like we all recognize like, oh, she's become a young lady. Good you know, people, people notice that. But with men, we don't say he's a man until he successfully traversed the rite of passage, right? It doesn't, it, it's not he's a good man or a bad man. We can talk that way, but when we're talking in, in this train of thought, right. he is a man or he's not a man. Right. He's not a man. He's no man. What happens when, when a man does something dramatically cowardly? He's not a man. He loses his man card. And Anthony Eslin uh, you know, referred to you know, a, a story where a man is presumed he's the only survivor of his uh, group of soldiers that were all killed by Apaches. He's the only survivor. And it's presumed that he survived because of cowardice. And so they ceremonially break his sword symbolically removing his man card, Mm -hmm. right? And so the rest of the story is him going out and doing acts of valor to regain his man card Mm -hmm. because to have it, he must be recognized as having it by other men around him. So a man can actually lose a man card. That's a, a man card is a thing to gain or to lose, but it's not something you permanently have because of physical changes. What say thee? What say ye? You know, that, that resonates with me. I think uh, – I was thinking about like uh, even like good villains in – not good as in morally good, but a well-framed villain yeah. in a story. Um, 
he won't be marked by cowardice and those things that would make you say he's not a man. And so that, that's kind of where the category, I think, comes in of, like, good men, bad men. Yeah. But there has to be certain things that mark them out to make it, you consider them a man. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we, uh, we look at Stalin, for example, as kind of a picture of the strong man, like the cultural strong man. Right. Right. But an evil man. Right. Right. But then you've got Judas as a type. Mm-hmm. Pick your Judas of choice, right. right? You're driving along the interstate and you see a, a car on the side uh, of the road and it's obvious that it just requires a tire change and there's a guy. It's just a guy. There's, it's not a girl. It's a guy. And he obviously doesn't know how to change a tire. You immediately think, not a man, right? Because his status of manhood is tied to a, a, a particular mark of competence. Now, when a man... And this is a, another thing. So culturally, we kind of delay our, even de- our desire to even look at a guy as potentially being a man until 18 or 21, sure. right? Totally arbitrary and way late. Whereas, you know, Jesus was expected to carry himself as a man in the community at 13 years and one day, right? And so I, I do think that objectively, when God objectively shifts a boy physically from physical immaturity to physical maturity, or at least dramatically throws himself into that whirlwind of change, our expectations are to shift. But what are we expecting? A standard that he has to conform to and maintain. Mm -hmm. It's like when you go to work, every day is a test of manhood. Will I maintain my card? Am I gonna do this job as a man, or I'm going to relinquish my manhood because of discomfort, desire for ease, Etc. Etc. Bringing it back to Titus. Yep. Notice that God's signaling of the world of a girl becoming a woman is a signaling of her preparedness biologically, physically, to bear children. Right. The markers yep. of her womanhood are markers of her fertility. Right. Yep. Because womanhood in God's world is is tied to marriage, childbearing. N- none of that denies the reality of suffering and loss, but we've already addressed that. Of course. And we want to say what the Bible says and not be all too worried about that. No, it's a really good place to rest. You probably need to go to work, huh? It is the Sabbath. <sighs> Nothing like working on the Sabbath. So with that, we're going to take a pause here, as in a pause until probably next Lord's Day. In which? You will not be working. I will not be working. Instead, we'll be drinking scotch, maybe some Irish whiskey, and drinking uh, and smoking Oliva Fives. Woo! So um, until then, we're going to put a tab on this subject of motherhood. We're going to come back to it, even though next week won't be Mother's Day. We can still talk about it, and we're going to move from Titus, maybe say a few more things about Titus 2, and then shift to 1 Timothy, a very dreaded passage. Until then, this has been an episode of Dave's Delivery and Junk Removal. I hope we've been able to deliver good truths to you and take out some trash. Have a good day.